Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the third edition of Double Weenie Wednesday. To start off today, I actually just watched something that I figured would be good content for Double Weenie Wednesday. It's a new Disney Plus series called Werewolf by Night. Not series, it's a movie. What's called Werewolf by Night is directed by Michael Giacchino, who is a very well-renowned composer in Hollywood. I believe he's won a couple Academy Awards. He composed the Batman, the Planet of the Apes movies, the Star Trek movies, The Incredibles, and a bunch of other movies that you've probably seen. He's a pretty good composer. Not my favorite, but pretty good. But anyway, he directed this movie, I guess you would call it. It's only 50 minutes, but I think they classify it as a film. And I thought, oh, interesting. It's a Disney Plus original. It technically takes place within the MCU, but it's a where it's a werewolf movie. So it's horror themed and they do it in black and white because that way it looks like a horror movie, I guess. But yeah, I watched it thinking, hey, this might be a good double weenie Wednesday recommendation because I saw really good reviews about it. And then about halfway through I realized, oh wait. Just about every Marvel product has really good reviews. Every Disney-owned Marvel product has really good reviews. And a lot of the time, I don't agree with the reviews. And this is one of them. This one was like overwhelmingly positive. And I was hearing just how good it was. And one of my favorite buzzwords that people invoke anytime they're talking about the newest Marvel thing is always, Unlike any Marvel project you've seen before, you'll always see that buzzword in first reactions. It'll always be unlike any Marvel project before it. And then you watch it, you say, well, not entirely, not entirely different. In the case of this one, I will say it is a bit different because it's not technically about superheroes. It's one that I wish just didn't have the Marvel label at all in some ways uh, because it's really not that connected to anything, which is fine. But I just, I don't know. I I don't get it. I watched it thinking, oh, cool, werewolf movie. And you don't say werewolf until like 15 minutes before it ends. It's like, hey, come on. It's an hour long and you give me like 10 minutes of werewolf. What are you doing to me? Because there's some other monster the whole time and it being in black and white is just, I don't know. It, it I didn't think it looked that good. It just looks like they put a black and white filter over it. It didn't actually look like they shot it with the intent of it being black and white. It just seems like they're like, yeah, let's make it black and white. Which is whatever. That's fine. That was their choice. But yeah, I just wasn't crazy over it. And I thought it would be one that I could talk about for Double Weenie Wednesday because I said, well, it's going to be on Disney Plus, so it can't be that scary. And I heard it was really good. And I watched it. I said, okay. Well, that was 50 minutes of my life. I'm not getting back. <laughs> I didn't think it was bad, by the way. I think I gave it like 2.5. Maybe I even gave it three stars, but it's just one where I was like, I don't know if this justifies its existence, you know? And that's kind of how I judge certain products is it's like, okay, that was not bad, but why make something if it's just not bad? It's really nothing special. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the point is, but other people liked it. So good for them. Maybe you guys will like it. I just didn't care for it. Not enough werewolf for me. 
it's a little more violent than the average Disney plus anything. So I did appreciate that at least. I kind of did check out pretty early though, because there's a fight between this girl and a guy and the girl does the, like just the move that every girl in the MCU does. It's like the leg grapple move takedown where they jump up and like wrap their legs around the guy's like shoulders and head and then pull them down. And I was just like, oh my gosh, is this their only move? Female character? Yeah, we'll have them do the leg takedown. Come on. Actually, I think the male characters do it too, because I feel like Ant-Man did that in one of the movies, maybe in the Ant-Man movie. But I don't know. I was just like, are there no other takedowns? Come on. I've seen John Wick do a million types of takedowns. You're telling me that these assassins, these superheroes, these killers, whatever, whoever it is, they only know the one leg takedown. It drives me insane. It's a real nitpicky thing, but I've just seen way too many of them. And you may not even know what I'm talking about. That's fine. But there's a couple of people that will know exactly what I'm talking about. And I hope you agree or at least say, oh, yeah, that's true. They do do that a lot. It was kind of like in the first MCU movies, how everyone was driving an Audi. And it's like, really? How many Audis are in this world? It's like, I get Tony Stark has an Audi. But why does this guy have one? Why does this guy have one? Why is this random car in the city? Why is it an Audi? I've only seen like 20 in my lifetime. Okay, I've seen more than that. But like how often do you see an Audi in a week? Then you watch a two-hour movie, two-hour Iron Man movie, and there's like 10. All driven by different people, half of them civilians. Come on. I get product placement, but that is something that took me out of the movie took me completely out of the movie as a kid. I'd be like, why does everyone have an Audi? I'm a kid, and I can see that. By the way, maybe I'm the crazy one on this. Maybe you guys will watch Werewolf by Night and be like, whoa, that was really awesome. What was Caleb talking about? That wasn't just okay. That wasn't not great. That was amazing. Oh, okay. I hope you enjoy it. Maybe you already watched it and you really liked it. Maybe I was in a bad mood. Or the wrong mood, maybe I just want to watch Better Call Saul, and I kept thinking, why am I wasting 50 minutes watching this instead of Better Call Saul, which I immediately queued up after that ended. It ended, and I was like, huh, well, that was that, and I switched over to Better Call Saul. So it might have just been the mood I was in. Maybe I was in the Saul Goodman mood. But yeah, was not crazy over it. Okay, now on to Double Weenie Wednesday where, of course, for those unfamiliar, the uninitiated, I talk about movies that are technically Halloween-themed scary movies, but they're not that scary. And the reason I do this is because I don't have the highest tolerance for scary movies, but I know a lot of people have an even lower tolerance for scary movies, so I'm trying to put movies out there that, one, I find enjoyable, two, they really fit the Halloween spirit, I guess. And then three, they are scary enough for it to be fun, but not too scary where it's going to stick with you after watching it for very long. Like I literally just had a bad dream about the movie Smile. It's been two weeks since I watched that. I've had a few friends, by the way, that made me feel validated who are like, wow, that movie was really scary. And they're friends that watch a lot of scary movies. And I was like, okay, it's not just me. Is I even had one reach out and say, hey, have you seen Smile? Like, I don't know if you're a big horror guy, but 
I am. And this movie freaked me out. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> it's not just me. Now, I have seen a few people say it's not that scary, but I don't know. For me, it was. And I have a few friends that have helped me feel some sense of comfort and knowing that I'm not just the biggest coward in the world, that it did actually scare them too. So that's cool. But yeah, I want movies that are not going to give you nightmares for weeks or have you checking the corner of your room or checking under your bed, even though I kind of do some of that stuff anyway. Even if I don't watch a scary movie, I'm like checking behind the shower curtain when I use the bathroom and checking the closet before I go to bed. And that's just because it's like, hey, look, would I rather be murdered in my sleep because I didn't check it? Or would I rather be murdered because I checked and got murdered on the spot? I'd probably rather be murdered checking than not checking. But I don't know. I may be wrong on that one. That's just my opinion. Maybe you guys feel differently. Anyway, let's get on with these Double Weenie Wednesday recommendations. Last week, I gave you guys a couple M. Night Shyamalan movies. And this week, I have some other ones that are, well, I guess we'll see if they're a hit or not. So to start off, I had Poltergeist on here, which I'm talking about the original Poltergeist, which is directed by Tobe Hooper, who actually, as a matter of fact, directed the Texas Chainsaw movie I talked about from my last Final Girl Friday. But Poltergeist was released in 1982. A lot of people think it is a Steven Spielberg movie, despite the fact Steven Spielberg was a producer and Tobe Hooper was the director. And now I was today years old when I found out it's actually pronounced Toby Hooper and not Tobe. I had thought Tobe was a weird name, but spelled T-O-B-E. Not like double E, no E-Y, no singular Y, just T-O-B-E. And I always thought, oh, that's a really unique name. Maybe it's short for something. No, it's pronounced Toby. I just looked it up just now. I took a, I took a quick pause because I said, you know, I think I've been saying his name wrong this entire time. Because there's just no friggin' way he went by Tobe all this time. Yeah, that's Toby. Toby Hooper. Oh boy, what an embarrassment. Someone is going to listen to my Texas Chainsaw episode and never listen to another episode because they're going to say this guy couldn't even pronounce Toby. Well, guess what? Toby spells it kind of funny. It's like there's the composer, Lorne Balf, but he spells Lorne L-O-R-N-E, which I guess is normal enough, but I knew a guy in high school who had that name, but they pronounced it Lorny. And then I later found out, no, no, Lorne Balf just pronounces it Lorne. He doesn't pronounce it Lorny, but the only one I had known in high school pronounced it Lorny and he spelled it the exact same. So I thought that was, you know, one of those other moments where I was like, dang, I've been saying it wrong for so long and it's kind of embarrassing, but what can you do? other than correct yourself when you become aware that you're wrong. So yeah, I was wrong. It's Toby Hooper. But anyway, he often gets robbed of credit for this movie, maybe because people can't pronounce his stupid name, but it is in fact his movie. Although Steven Spielberg was a collaborator on the project, some people say that Spielberg ghost directed it. But it's kind of an insult to Toby Hooper, seeing as he has directed a few other horror movies. And Steven Spielberg really never operated in the horror realm of things, even if some of his movies would have that element to it. I guess there's the Jurassic Park franchise, but that's not quite the same. It's like Jurassic Park is awesome. It's not really scary. I guess it could be scary if you're scared of dinosaurs. But like for me, it's like, when, when am I going to run into a dinosaur? You know, it's only scary for me if 
there's a potential threat there for me. But anyway, I had the movie Poltergeist, which interestingly was one I tried to rewatch a few years ago with my sister and she kind of got bored about halfway through, not even halfway through. We were like an hour into it on TV because we were watching it on TV. So that's maybe like a third of the way through the movie. And then we started to watch Haunting of Hill House on Netflix instead, which is a pretty dang good show. Uh, It is scary, though. Not like too scary, but scary enough where, you know, if some of this stuff rattles you, you probably wouldn't be able to handle that. But then Poltergeist was on TV again uh, last week. And I was watching a bit of it, watched the last hour of it. And I thought, okay. I was already planning on talking about this. And then I looked up to see, you know, other people's opinions on it. Cause I wanted to look back to see how it was received when it came out. And it was really well received. But I see a lot of people that talk about it now in most circles are like, oh, this movie actually sucks. It's just like got some very memorable stuff in terms of makeup work, in terms of jump scares and things like that. There's just some really memorable scenes in the movie, some iconic stuff. But overall, the movie's not that good. And I guess I haven't watched it in its entirety since I don't know how long ago. But every time I watch it, I'm like, no, this stuff is genuinely good for its time. It's more in the tier of like Ghostbusters as far as the quality, because they didn't have the technology to do you know, crazy stuff that they can do now in horror movies. So there's a lot of stuff that looks a little bit cheesy. But there's some genuinely good stuff in the movie. I think it is a fun horror movie. It's not like... You don't have to worry about anything crazy with this one. It's just a very standard haunting movie. There's dead people haunting a house. They're not the most malicious spirits necessarily, but they don't want the people in the house. And that's kind of all there is to it. But this movie kind of has a soft spot for me because I did watch it as a kid and it never scared me that bad as a kid, which means that it probably is not that scary overall. But I just think it's a fun horror movie. There's a lot of moments that are scary-ish, but they're also kind of funny. I mean, again, I compared it to Ghostbusters. I think it's scarier than something like Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters leans more into comedy. And this one, I don't think can entirely decide how serious it wants to play it at times because there are times where it does play kind of goofy. And then there's other times where it seems like it's playing to be pretty scary. And I don't know if it's a perfect balance of the two things necessarily. I don't know how well they walk that tightrope, but I think it's a fun movie and it's not that scary. There's some scary stuff in it and there might be a couple jump scares that get you or a few moments that are like, oh, wow, that's freaky. But I don't think there's anything that crazy. Oh, other than the fact that they use like real dead bodies for the movie. There's a part where you see a bunch of dead bodies like, skeletons and stuff and apparently they used real skeletons and the actors didn't know until they were like shooting or maybe it was after the fact that they were with like real skeletons which i thought was insane interesting movie trivia it was something that i believed as a kid sounds made up now but i'm gonna fact check before i publish this episode so if it makes it in the episode just know that i fact checked and it is indeed true that they were real dead bodies But that is something that I saw for a long time. So they had to have been real dead bodies. There's no way that people would repeat a lie a million times, you know, especially not on TV. But yeah, as far as Poltergeist goes, if you can handle movies where you see like ghosts and 
dead bodies and crap. It is a PG rated movie, so there's really not a ton to worry about. Granted, this was before there was a PG 13 rating. Today, it would definitely be PG 13, which they didn't invent the, or create the PG 13 rating until a couple years after this movie released. But yeah, it's uh, still one of the cleaner movies of the last few that I'm going to talk about. Now, the final movie that I want to talk about today is The Invisible Man, released in 2020, just a couple months before the pandemic hit and theaters were closed down worldwide. But I'm very thankful that I was able to see this one in a movie theater because there's something special about the theatrical experience when you're watching a horror movie for the first time. Because I don't think there is any other genre of movie that quite gets the audience involved like the horror genre does, especially when it's like the super suspenseful type of horror. Because there's, of course, the horror that is just, I don't know, cosmic horror where there's stuff that goes on and it's just creepy and there's a weird vibe the whole time. But when it's this type of horror movie where it's like a thriller horror mystery where you don't know exactly what's going on and you don't know exactly when characters are in danger or where scenes are going to go at all times when it's completely unpredictable. I think that gets the audience more involved than probably any other type of movie. And I remember specific moments in this movie, watching it in theaters, where there were gasps in the audience or where it was just so quiet because of something that just happened that people were not expecting, or even a couple moments where there was a wave of cheers that went through the theater. But there's no other genre that quite gets you like that. Of course, you could go to like a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie and you'll get all the nerds that cheer every time Glup Shido appears on screen because it's like, oh, we just brought this character back from the 2002 film Daredevil or something and everyone cheers and claps and it's like, okay, you nerds, you didn't even watch that movie when it came out. You don't even know what movie it's referencing. You just know it's a reference so you're cheering. I'm talking about movies that get a reaction because of stuff the movie is actually doing, not because it's referencing some other movie or something like those are cheap, cheap thrills, you know, that get the audience where they cheer because I recognize that thing or I recognize that person. But these movies get reactions because of what the movies actually do, what the story does, what the scene does. And that's why it's one reason I do respect the genre so much. I've talked about how I'm kind of a lightweight with the horror genre, but some of my most memorable theater moments have come from watching movies like this one. So this particular movie, The Invisible Man, it was directed by Leigh Whannell, who's a guy that I had not seen any of his movies at the time that I saw this one. This was the first movie of his that I had watched. And I had seen the trailer to this movie about a billion times before going to see the movie to the point where the trailer, I would just look away when it was up because I just didn't want to see it anymore. I felt I knew too much of the movie, that I had seen too much of the movie, and I didn't want to keep knowing and seeing too much of the movie before I was going to see it because it looked interesting enough to me. I just saw it way too much. And then it came out to really good reviews. And so I got tickets for opening night I believe I saw it in a Dolby theater, which has the best audio. And in terms of premium format theaters, probably the best picture, unless you can get a true IMAX screen, which there's not too many in the entire United States, which happens to be 96% of my listening audience. 
there's randomly like two people in Germany that listen to this. No idea who you are, but I do appreciate you. But yeah, Dolby is kind of like the way to experience, especially a horror movie where sound design is so important and they absolutely nail the sound design in this movie, which I will talk about more later. But it's a director I hadn't seen anything from and so I didn't know what to expect, even with the good reviews. And I was really impressed with how well directed this movie was. From the very opening scene, we meet Elizabeth Moss's character, Cecilia, a.k.a. C, that's the nickname she goes by, as she is sneaking around her very, very nice home as her boyfriend, played by Oliver Jackson Cohen, is asleep in their bed. And you see that she has a bottle of pills that she looks at and then a half-empty glass of water that looks like there was stuff dropped into it. So. It implies that she drugged her boyfriend so that he would be in a deeper sleep so that she could be doing what she's about to do. And it's one thing I love about the movie is that from this very opening scene, you know nothing about her character and you are in a state of complete suspense during this entire opening scene. Edge of your seat. Without knowing anything about her boyfriend or anything about her at this point in time, You're very nervous for her as she's sneaking around. And that's why I said the sound design is so important. This scene in particular, it is exactly as quiet as it needs to be. And every little sound you hear it, because I don't know if you guys have ever snuck around at night when you're trying not to make noise, trying not to wake up your roommates, family, etc. But anytime you do anything, it seems like the volume was cranked up by a million try to open a bag of chips when everyone's asleep at night, it's impossible. It's just so loud. And in this case, everything she does, it sounds really loud because everything else is so quiet. But that's, again, the sound design really being A-plus in this movie on full display right away. Anyway, she sneaks out and she runs and you can see it's on this huge property. It's a very, very nice home, just massive space. And she goes out to the main road and she's waiting and waiting. And then a car pulls up. She hops in. It's her sister who is played by Harriet Dyer, who I'm really not familiar with. I'm just giving her props. She's played by Harriet Dyer. And her sister, Emily, is asking her what's going on. And she's like, hey, I'll explain later. We just got to go. And then from behind, you see her boyfriend running up. And he smashes through the window and starts screaming and grabbing at her to come back. He's dropping F-bombs and all that as her sister freaks out and then drives away. And I saw an interview recently, and it was something I really appreciated. Leigh Winnell had gotten studio notes, and I think it was even notes after test screenings. And it was about the relationship between Cecilia and her boyfriend, Adrian. And the suggestion was that they needed to show the abuse before getting to her escaping. And Leigh Winnell's like, I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do the cliche scene where it's, oh, the woman's doing the dishes and the guy goes up because uh, she drops from the dishes and just whack right in the face. He just said, I didn't think we needed to do that. I thought that her acting and her fear and terror could show how frightening this guy is. And sure enough, he was right because you feel the suspense in the very first scene. It's like, okay, this guy's obviously drugged for a reason. And she looks very, very on edge the entire scene. 
Elizabeth Moss absolutely rocks it in this movie. She is a very good actor and completely, I won't say she carries the movie because it's a great movie overall, but her performance is really, really great. And one thing I like is that you are able to see her boyfriend being aggressive and violent and abusive without him ever actually hitting her in that opening scene because him breaking through the car window and grabbing at her absolutely shows how much of a psycho he is without having the movie show him hitting her or anything like that. So anyway, the movie fast forwards a little bit where you see that Cecilia is staying with her childhood friend played by Aldous Hodge. His name is James Lanier and he lives in his home with his teenage daughter, Sydney, who is played by Storm Reed. And that's who she has been staying with since fleeing her relationship. Soon after, it shows her sister coming to visit, which she is very upset about because she has a very specific set of rules and says, hey, Adrian knows where you live. He's going to follow you here. And her sister says, hey, that's not a concern anymore because Adrian's dead. He killed himself. Which, although this seems like a huge relief for her as she's been living in constant fear ever since leaving the relationship, she just doesn't quite believe that Adrian's dead because he's so much of a narcissist. There's just no way he would ever do that. There's no way he would kill himself. So even though this should be a huge weight off of her shoulders, she continues to be very on edge and paranoid. And slowly throughout the movie, her life begins to unravel as she believes she is in some way or another being haunted by her ex-boyfriend, Adrian, even in death. And I won't say anything more. That's pretty much everything that's established in the first 20 minutes of the movie. That's how I always try to, you know, lay these movies out. I never try to go too far ahead. This is pretty much everything that happens in the first 10 minutes. And then I'm just giving you like a preview of the rest of the movie in that, yes, crazy stuff starts to happen. And she believes it's Adrian. And of course, a lot of people don't believe her because Adrian is obviously dead. But again, as I said, this is really well directed and Elizabeth Moss is really, really good in the movie. I think her character makes mostly good decisions despite being constantly on edge and terrified, frankly. I think she makes more good decisions than bad ones throughout the movie. And I think that most characters in the movie make sensible decisions throughout. I don't think there's anyone that is just doing the dumbest stuff possible. Even Aldous Hodge, instead of being the cliche, there's always the cliched boyfriend or other male character that doesn't believe the woman in the movie and is just like, whoa, you're crazy. I got to get out of here. Aldous Hodge's character instead is always acting in the best interest of Cecilia, but also his daughter. His daughter is his first priority. And so pretty much every decision he makes in the movie and the way he sees things, it's like, yeah, he's honestly being completely rational given the circumstances. I totally understand why he is making the decisions he's making. And that's something I appreciate. I remember seeing someone say, you can't have a good horror movie without characters making bad decisions. And I kind of disagree with that. I think there are examples of good horror movies where sure, there are some characters that won't make good decisions because they're stupid people. But I think it's great when the important characters make more rational decisions than irrational decisions. And I mean, rational for the moment that they're in, where it's, yeah, that's something that even if it didn't work out, that's something I might have thought of doing in that moment too. And I think this movie is a good example of that. And it really shot 
lay one out up on my radar where he's just a guy that next time he has a movie coming out, I'm going to see it. Also, something really interesting about Lay Winnell is he went to film school with James Wan, and I don't remember if he told this story or James Wan told this story. James Wan, of course, who is like the master of horror for this generation, you know, he kicked off the Saw franchise, the Insidious franchise, the Conjuring franchise. James Wan is that dude. But one of them had told the story that in their first day in film school, their film teacher had said that no one in that class was ever going to make Hollywood movies. They were just saying, hey, get that out of your head right away. No one in here is ever going to make a big Hollywood movie. And then fast forward so many years, James Wan is one of the only directors that has a billion dollar hit with two separate franchises, one with Fast and Furious 7 and one with Aquaman. And then Leigh Whannell directed one of the biggest horror movies of 2020, if not the biggest, it was probably the biggest horror movie of 2020 because there were not a ton of horror movies. But even if there were like a million of them, it still would have been considered one of the best of the year, if not the best. So I think that's a very cool thing that they were both guys that had a film teacher that really had no faith in anyone in the class and was kind of just saying, hey, lower your expectations for the rest of your careers. You're in here to learn about film, but you're not ever going to be doing what these guys are doing. And James Wan is now doing it with the best of them. And Leigh Whannell looks to be on the same trajectory. So I really like that. I like those types of stories. But as far as scares go, The Invisible Man, it has a few jump scares in it. I think it is scary if you're triggered by, say, abusive relationships and things like that. If, the, if that type of stuff is triggering to you, I think this movie handles it pretty well where it doesn't show anything crazy it usually just shows like leg Winnell said he felt that elizabeth moss could really carry the emotions needed to show how terrifying adrian was without showing adrian doing all these things and i think the movie does a good job of that but i would just say be aware of it if that's something that is a problem for you just be aware of it going into it but i think they handle it really well there's a lot of blood in the movie. It's never gory, but there's a lot of blood. And as far as language, not a ton of language, not that you guys care. I mean, in this case, if we're talking about what level of horror you can tolerate. I'll just say, yes, it's, it's violent. It's not gory, but it is very violent. And there's a handful of jump scares in the movie. It's mostly a very suspenseful movie, but it's not this overly terrifying movie. I think it's just a very good thriller mystery type of film so definitely one worth checking out in terms of suspense i'd say this is probably the most suspenseful movie i've recommended yet on double weenie wednesday and in terms of scares eh, it's one of the more scary ones for sure which is why i saved it to this week i also saved it to this week because it's one of the r-rated horror movies that i am recommending and i tried to kind of go in order of pg to pg-13 to then r-rated which then will lead into next week where, yes, they will be R-rated features, and I think they will be the scariest ones thus far. Actually, there's one that I think is a little less scary, but I thought it needed to be grouped in with the other ones just because it fit in really well with the other ones, but we will talk about that when the week rolls around. In the meantime, I will be back again with Final Girl Friday, the third edition this week. And then I'll be seeing Black Adam this weekend. So you guys will hear from me next week about Black Adam. So stay tuned for that. I'll talk to you guys later.